You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome, listener, to episode 11 of the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast, and welcome to the new year, 2021. We're glad you made it. We're glad you're here listening to us now. We're glad we all made it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And to our new listeners, thank you for checking us out. And I'm really hoping that, you know, if this is your first episode, that you're going to get a lot of benefit out of this. That'll be a profitable thing for all of us. So thank you and welcome to our new listeners However, if this is your first episode, I do recommend, you know, I don't want to live your life for you. Going back and listening to some of the older stuff, that stuff is really good as well. But thank you for being here. And thank you for sticking with us, all of our old listeners as well. Yeah, speaking of sticking with us, what are we talking about today? Hey, good transition. We're going we're to talk about the man and the woman, man. <laughs> well, uh, well, garden pun, we've got some real ground to cover, so why don't we hop straight into the text? Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt, you want to read it for us? Yeah, let me read it. Uh, I'm going to start in verse number 15, even though we've already covered it, just to give a little bit of background. The scripture says this. I'm reading from the ESV. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Mm. So what uh, when we get into this passage, what jumps out at you? 
I'll tell you what jumps out for me is that, you know, we've been hearing so far in these creation accounts, a lot of, um, like you say, Nathan, a little touch hove me oh, a lot of good stuff. You know, the, the light is good. The earth is good. The plants are good. But we get here and in this section we hear, OK, what's going on? It's not good. That's yeah, a good I, I, that's a great catch. That's a great mm-hmm. catch. In fact, I'm glad Matt went back to verse 15. Uh, because, you know, even the stuff we talked about last week with the creation uh, of these trees, you know, the, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even this tree is not inherently evil, uh, but even this tree that has the potential for evil um, is still, there's a good in there too, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and so it's interesting that the first not good in all of Scripture is speaking to man's isolation, I think there's an inherently relational aspect to bearing the image of God in humanity. Man wasn't made to relate to the tree, right? They were made to relate elsewhere. Yeah, that's interesting. And talking about relating to each other, in fact, when the Scripture says that the Lord God was going to make a helper for him, uh, specifically when he said there was not a helper fit for him, that God when he is making the woman, is making a suitable helper. That word suitable, it implies like one one in front of another, that there is is a correspondence. Yeah, like the other side of the coin. Right. And if we were to tie this back into Genesis 1, Genesis 1 is zoomed out. Genesis 1, when we start reading about the creation of man and woman, it says that they are both created in God's image. So it's interesting that God's image in humanity is fully revealed in man and woman. But in Genesis 2, we're zoomed in and we get to see how this is fleshed out. So truly, humanity is not complete without woman. Yeah, and that's very atypical for the ancient Near East, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, Matt, I had never really considered this until you you mentioned it. Man is made outside of the garden from the dust of the ground, and God puts him in the garden. The only one made in the garden is woman uh, when she's made from man. You, you know, it's an interesting point there because I know that we have all, you know, looked at ancient history stuff before, I know, or just whether it's reading it or just watching the History Channel. Like, there's been a fascination for years on the History Channel with Vikings, and you read about these ancient burial ceremonies where a woman would be considered the property of the man along with his livestock, you know, along with his dog, along with his cat. And so when the man died, the woman was buried with the man along with the rest of his property, that the woman is almost seen down on the level in some of these ancient societies as the level of the animals. But that is not what is taking place here. Man is made from the dust of the ground, and also it's emphasized here that the animals are also made of the dust of the ground. But woman is made inside the Garden of Eden. Remember, it's this mountain garden. So there is a, uh, a figurative and literal sense elevation of the woman. And when you look at the way ancient societies viewed women, Israel, ancient Israel 
was alone in its elevation of the woman and its elevation of the vulnerable in society, those connected to women, whether it be widows, orphans. Uh, This is a theme throughout the Old Testament, and it it may sound—it sounds foreign because I know the Bible is often cheap shot at by saying it was so hard on women. But when you compare the way the Bible treats women in the Old Testament versus the way other ancient cultures treated women, there's a drastic difference. Would you call this another polemic against other belief systems? Absolutely. Yes, without a doubt. Uh, it's, and, yeah. In fact, it's interesting for me, you mentioned the man's other property. It's interesting that though this passage culminates with the creation of woman, it doesn't rush there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have the God forming these other things out of the ground. Um, and I know in Genesis 1, we talked a good bit about partners and pairs. Um, before God finds or creates a suitable helpmate for him, he regards the things that are not suitable helpmates for the for the mankind, you know, for man. And um, I think that's interesting because, Matt, you know, we were talking about this. When, when Adam is in the garden, God has given him the trees for food. So these right. animals that are— Not the these animals. Animal, yeah, that's it. These animals that are around him are not, uh, you know, ooh, I'm going to have that one next month and I'm going to eat that one three months from now. Uh, these, these animals are there for fellowship at this point. Special fellowship and even further visual pleasure. Yeah, but but what they are, but they, whatever they are, they are not suitable as a corresponding part to Adam. That's what comes through Eve, um, and so you have this neat element in the text, and this is something uh, that's not original to me. I think I first heard it from Tim Mackey, uh, where God causes this deep sleep to come over Adam, and this this word for deep sleep is not terribly common. Uh, in the Old Testament. In fact, the next time it happens, it happens in Genesis 15, and we'll talk about it when we get there too. Uh, but in, in Genesis 15, uh, much like Genesis 2, uh, God causes a deep sleep to come over Abram, who is later known as Abraham, and God uh, gives Abraham this vision that that essentially shows that God is going to do something for Abraham that Abraham can't do for itself. And I think that's so interesting here in Genesis 2, because look at the incredible authority that God grants to Adam. God lets Adam be the last person speaking in creation, this God who is made through speaking. Uh, Adam is the last person who speaks in creation. Uh, Whatever Adam calls something, that is its name. Uh, That to me is an extension of the divine image that God's granted to him. But for all that Adam can do, he cannot make for himself a suitable helpmate. And so God blesses him with something he could not obtain on his own. Yeah, that's really good. And also just talking about the elevation of woman is that because animals were not yet made for food, one of the things in talking about just a few moments ago, other ancient societies in the, rather than the uh, elevation of woman, but how they uh, in a sense trampled on women, so to speak, is that realizing that a woman was not created for to be an object for man. The animals were created to provide man fellowship and visual pleasure. But a woman is created for more. There, there, is, there is a completeness that she provides to Adam's humanity. So I think of some application that we can think in our day and age, and actually for every day and age, is that there is a temptation 
by hypermasculine culture at times to objectify the woman, that she is just an object to make me look good, to, you know, to, for me to find pleasure in, for me to get this from whatever. Or the, or even, even the so-called trophy wife. The trophy wife. That's, that is majorly pushed back on here, that this, this woman is not a trophy. This is not something to just sit there and look pretty. This is something to cohabitate the joy and the grace of life with. This is something that God has created for the completeness of man, not an accessory to man. Though I have jokingly told my wife if she has, uh, you know, if she wants to write a bestseller or something like that, I have no objections to being a trophy husband or at least trying my best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Uh, in fact, I love the way that that's captured in the text, Matt, uh, when, when it's talking about making a helper uh, fit or suitable or corresponding to the man. The word for helper here is the word uh, itzer. Uh, and it's uh, the biggest use of it outside of this text that I think of in the Old Testament is in 1 Samuel 7. And this is when God's people, uh, you know, they've come into the land and that God has let the ark uh, of the Lord or the ark of the covenant be taken because of their sin. And they're trying to bring the ark home. And they kind of have this national spiritual renewal service at a place called Mizpah. And while they're worshiping, their enemies, the Philistines, are just lying in wait. And, you know, the people of Israel are essentially unarmed. They're not prepared to fight. And so they're about to be slaughtered unless God delivers them. Uh, and that's exactly what God does. God delivers his people. And uh, to mark what God had done for them, save them from certain annihilation, Samuel, who is present, lifts up the so-called Ebenezer. We know this word from that song, Come thou fount of every blessing. Here I res my Ebenezer. Ebenezer in Hebrew is just stone of help. The help, the help that God provided here is not uh, supplementary. It's not, oh, everything was great, and this just is a little extra or token on the side. It's not ornamental. It's essential. Without God's help, they would not have life. Uh, and there is a real sense in which God, man cannot have the life God created him to have without this corresponding helpmate. I know we mentioned a few episodes back, Gandalf, about the Silmarillion and the song of creation in the first couple of chapters there. The Silmarillion right. is the, the backstory to Middle Earth there in Lord of the Rings. And I know we talk about it a lot, but being in Genesis... I am always yeah, ready you're to always, talk about you're, the Silmarillion. You're always open to that. But um, essentially, that during the creation song, there is one being called Melkor who starts to do things his own way. And we can think of like a devil type character, Lucifer type character, and it starts to eat away and destroy the creation song. But as the story moves forward, it, the creation song that's, I, I've just forgot the name of what, who's the God character, the creator character? Iluvatar. Yeah, Il Iluvatar. The, his song of creation, rather than being ruined by Melkor's song, absorbs Melkor's song and makes his own song more beautiful. So even though, for instance, something had been spoiled by a creation of God, God's song still rings true. And what I think about here is calling Eve a helper. For instance... 
when we talk about helper, we also think about the divine helper who's going to come in the New Testament, that being the Holy Spirit, the covenant helper. And that that's that's such a, a key thing throughout the talk about Chekhov's gun, the covenant helper helper that flows throughout the scripture is that Eve fulfills this divine design even after the fall. It was it was it is God speaking prophetically, not just for Adam's creation completion in the garden, but she will be Adam's salvation outside of the garden so that even though God created man to be completed by woman and that is his in a sense original design for his helper it's going back to the Silmarillion thing the one of the things that Iluvatar says to show that nothing that I have done can be undone with it basically anything you do to throw off my song just makes my song more beautiful this whole idea that well isn't woman the downfall of Adam that she contributes to his downfall in, you know, chapter three? And I understand Adam is with her when she sins and stuff like that. Well, what's interesting is that it is going to be from the seed of the woman that God is going to bring salvation to the world so that even though the story is contaminated by sin, Eve still fulfills her divine purpose of being the helper of man first as what completes him second and more beautifully what saves him. So cool. I think that's, I think that's what's going on in first Timothy two 16. The woman will be saved through childbearing right above that. He's right above that. He's talking about Adam and Eve. Um, Right. And and the uh, woman there, you pointed this out to me uh, another time we talked about this is that the woman should be thought of as Eve there, not just women. Hey, Hey, I can be saved if I have kids, but rather that through childbearing Eve produced the Messiah for the world. Uh, well, and I, and I, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, the woman as Ezar helping a man in a way he cannot help himself. That is definition salvation. One thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, God uh, brings or causes to come all the beasts of the field uh, to Adam and Adam names it. And there's no helpmate found suitable for him. So the Lord God causes this deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, uh, God took one of his ribs uh, and closed up uh, its place with flesh. What's interesting is this Hebrew word uh, that gets translated uh, rib is the Hebrew word tzelah, uh, so T-S-E-L-A if you were transliterating it. Um, and this is not exclusively, but overwhelmingly where that is used in the rest of the Old Testament. It's used of the Ark of the Covenant for one of the sides of the Ark. It's used of the tabernacle, and it's also used of the temple. Now, like I said, there is exceptions, like it can refer to the side of a hill or a mountain or a ridge line or something like that. But overwhelmingly, just by uh, frequency, it's referring to the ark, the tabernacle, or the temple. What is this? This is place where God interacts with man. I think it's so interesting that God, uh, when God is blessing man in a way man cannot bless himself, he takes her from his zelah, his side. Uh, and I love, I love, uh, it's a dated quote, but it's such a good quote. Uh, from Matthew Henry. He says, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him. There's the exception, right? Under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be loved by him. 
Yeah, that's Matthew Henry at his best. I think it's pretty amazing how much of the rest of the Bible is set up. We're only at the end of chapter two of the very first book. Like we've barely scratched the surface of the biblical narrative, but there's all this stuff that's being set up and being referenced over and over again in the rest of the Bible. There's just a lot more to Genesis than what meets the eye, uh, you know, as far as my studies have gone. Yeah, and that that's the irony for me is uh, so often in meaning to defend the Bible with Genesis, we actually are reductionistic in the richness of the story that's being told. Hmm. And in fact, in, we even see it here in this text on how the Bible uses Genesis. For instance, if you look down in verse 23, it says, Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. If you look in verse 24, the vexed line is, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The, the transitional statement there, therefore, in Hebrew, is a word that is used or a phrase that is used over and over throughout the rest of Genesis and, and parts of the, the Pentateuch as well, the first five books of the Bible, to make an authorial notation. So verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. That phrase was not part of the narrative, is not part of the narrative. It's an applicational phrase that the, the author under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit is making. It's kind of like the author is pausing and thinking about the narrative and saying, hey, here's application for that. And this is what so much of the Bible is going to do when it's talking about God's will for man. They are going to dwell upon and think upon the first two chapters of Genesis. In fact, when you read the opening of the Proverbs, there is this imagery of of trees and you think about psalm Mm, one and yeah it's all about reflecting back and psalm 15 design psalm 15 it's reflecting back on god's design so you even see the writer of genesis already provide some reflection because really it should read if we were going straight narrative then the man said this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed that's verse 25 it really shouldn't have verse 24 in there but we're given this applicational study note it's kind of like uh, it's the divine I, I, study bible so to speak yeah matt i just have one point of disagreement with you sure uh, I, I i don't i think you do injustice to this when it's just the man said to me this is ancient hebrew r&b this is casey and jojo singing all my life uh, like this is like uh, uh, and to and to your earlier point you know the song of creation um you know and and the cimmerillion i, I think that's what's going on I, again we overlook the significance adam is the last person who gets to speak in creation this god who has brought everything into being and then adam gets to speak just like God did. Uh, and, and Adam's last thing to speak in creation is this name for the woman, right? I think that that is beautiful uh, to me. And uh, it, it may not actually be a song, but I convinced myself, even when I read it in English, I'm like, okay, uh, there's a marginal note. Uh, like someone uh, recently told me they're, you know, they're going through the Bible and leaving uh, study notes for their kids. 
uh, when I when I annotate a study Bible for my kids, it's just going to inexplicably say ancient Hebrew R and B uh, out in the margin uh, for Genesis two twenty three. <laughs> hey, as a side note, have you ever read the Silmarillion, Nathan? Yes, I actually just restarted it. Ah, uh, mm. yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, but I've 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 never read that long intro, uh, right. which I'm reading this time. Right, right. It, it in fact, if for those of our listeners that maybe the Cimmerillion is just a little too heavy and that's too deep into Lord of the Rings for you. Just reading the first two chapters uh, is gets, gives you a grasp of what we're talking about. And you can find them online for free. You don't even have to buy the book. Uh, it's it's really good. Yeah, I'll just warn you, new listeners, just go ahead and read it. It's required reading oh. to listen to this podcast. Like, just go. <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, uh, to, yeah to, the, to the listener, I'm I'm reading it so that Matt and Gandalf's comments are intelligible to me. Because it's been a while. Um, <laughs> um, I love this. I love Nathan's talk about what Adam says about Eve as being ancient R&B. Like, I just got to imagine, like, Adam, he had game, right? I mean, this guy is, like, laying out bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Well, he like, had no competition either. <laughs> <laughs> let's Let's think about something else here, all right? This is... Woman is created in the midst of the garden, the mountain garden, the cosmic garden, the place where heaven meets earth. What have we discussed in previous episodes? Who is in that mountain garden? Well, you certainly have Adam as the only human, but we do, we do know that spiritual beings are there. Now, what's interesting, if you take Jesus's commentary on angels out of the New Testament, when he says the angels in heaven neither marry nor are given in marriage, that that is God's design for them, they they don't have this completion like man does. And in a sense, here in the garden, the spiritual beings get to observe this, this crowning completeness that God is placing on the lowly creature of man. And it's interesting that when you get to chapter three, it's going to be a spiritual being in rebellion that is going after that crown achievement. And, and, and and seeks to undermine not only the relationship between mankind and God, but in doing so undermines the relationship between man and woman. Yes. Mm. Yes. It's very interesting how that all fits together. Uh, It's so interesting. You know, we talked about the relationship between Genesis one and Genesis two, several episodes ago and, how we really see a concert, uh, you know, corresponding parts like we've stressed again and again. What's so beautiful to me is in Genesis 1, we see a God who makes things through speaking and then sees that they are good. Well, look at how Genesis 2 wraps up. Mankind created in God's image. Man is the last one who speaks. And then the final note that we get in Genesis 2.25, Uh, The final perspective that we get this side of sin, uh, which will become part of the picture in Genesis 3, is that the man and his wife were both naked in the garden, but they were not ashamed. It's not just about what they saw, much like God in creation. It's about how they saw. That's a man. That's that's a really good point. In fact, that's a good place for us to lay in the plane this week. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, I think we're done with Genesis chapter two, you know, we were on here for fireworks, (laughs) six, seven episodes, but join us next week. And we're going to start with chapter three. And like we said, at the beginning, we've gone through a lot of Tove Miove. There's been a lot of good stuff happening 
but we, I think we all know, we're all pretty spoiled. We know that Genesis chapter 3, there's going to be some uh, cataclysmic events. And I think we all know what those are, but join us and we're going to dive headfirst into it next week. I'll see you guys later. Shalom. Later.